Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast, a part of the Agile Podcast Network. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can reach out to the show on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Episode 72 is a great one. I mean, they're all very good, but these last few have been getting getting really great in my opinion. So we've got uh, some familiar voices you're going to hear, as well as a new person, a new voice that we're introducing here. This was recorded in September, just a few weeks ago, right after the 12th annual Agile Open SoCal. This one was done virtually over Zoom for a day and a half. It was a, a lot of great takeaways, which you're going to hear. But before we get to that, a little quick business. So if you haven't been there lately, check out agilecoffee.com. Of course, you can get all the show notes for this and prior podcasts. They're all listed there. They're archived there, as well as a number of events. You've got not only classes, but upcoming conferences and all the meetups that we're doing throughout the end of the year are listed there as well. Our most popular page, what is Lean Coffee? And then, of course, uh, you would help me out specifically by clicking to become a patron. You can also just go over to patreon.com. And for the price of a cup of coffee a month, you help support this podcast as well as my other endeavors. So that helps me out quite a bit. Are you looking for an Agile conference this season? Well, if you are, check out Agile Online Summit coming up October 26th through the 30th of this year. It's a free event over five days with five tracks, eight very great keynote speakers, and a heck of a sweet networking program. So check that out online at agileonlinesummit.com. And speaking of websites online, I am thrilled to share with you my own website, onlinescrumclass.com. So if I can help you in your learning journey, if you are looking for that CSM, that Certified Scrum Master badge to put on your LinkedIn, on your resume, to, to give you the edge in the workplace, uh, I've got online courses listed through the end of the year, and they will be updated as well. So please go there. You can find out what your registration includes, see any upcoming classes, you can get a sense of what other attendees have been saying about it, and on and on. Lots of great information there. So go to online scrum class. If you yourself already have a CSM, a certified scrum master accreditation from the Scrum Alliance, pass it on to your friends. Let them know. All these classes are taught by yours truly. So without further ado, let's get on, because I see your brew. Let's get you in your seat, sitting back, relaxing, and enjoying another episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Welcome back to the Agile Coffee Podcast, episode 72. My name is Vic Bonacci, and today we are fresh off of the amazing conference that we just had, the Agile Open Southern California 2020, and we've got three guests here who have all been with me as a part of that experience. So um, let me introduce Colleen Kirtland. Hello, Colleen. Hello there. Colleen is on Twitter at Purpose Creator. Chris Herney is back. Hi, Chris. Hey, Vic. Hey, everyone. Chris is on Twitter at Chris underscore Herney. And Caitlin Taylor. Welcome, Caitlin. Hi. 
So we'll go ahead then, and um, and I guess we can just jump right in. I'm going to uh, look at our lean coffee table board and hit start the discussion. The first topic, Caitlin, is yours. It's a it's a great topic. I love it. Um, you had said, by the way, right before we started, that you're rather new to uh, Scrum Mastering. Only in February of this year, and then uh, later on, did you get a couple of certifications, one from Scrum Alliance and one from SAFE. And your, uh, your topic there, uh, lessons and tips you would give yourself to yourself as a new Scrum Master or Agile Coach. Do you want to uh, explain like why you came up with that topic and what it means to you? Um, I guess for me, it's very important because I kind of, I don't have a technical background. I kind of, I guess, practiced the idea of Scrum in theory, but never understood that it was actually a thing until my fiance suggested it to me. It was like, you need to do this position. He's like, you're perfect for it. Um, and so going through it, especially like I, right before pre-pandemic, I was really excited about um, doing my Scrum Master course and then doing the SAFE one. Like I knew immediately those were the two certifications I wanted to get right off the bat um, to transition to a new job. And then the pandemic hits. I'm still working in my old position as a billing assistant, but I'm slowly starting to transfer into more of a Scrum Master role with my current company um, within the past basically a couple of weeks. So I just really would like to hear more, um, I guess, life experiences and kind of like what people who've been in this field longer than I have would say to themselves that they were in my position where they were just starting out. Because it's always, in hindsight, you can always think of better things to say and like tips and tricks and just looking for any information and just kind of connecting those pieces. Caitlin, is it, so is this something you approached your company with and then they were accommodating? They said, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll help you along this journey. Not really. Um, so I didn't actually tell them uh, when I did my certification. It was just very, uh, so I guess the background, I, my, my fiance works for USAA as a Salesforce uh, developer and stuff. And so I, his old Scrum Master actually um, was one of the people that influenced me to be it as well. She lives right across the street from us. Oh. And so I just was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take the certification. Um I didn't really see myself having any mobility in my current position with accounting. Um, so I just kind of went with it. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, the my manager and the CEO just approached me and was like, hey, like you've done the certifications. We've hired back some people that we had to unfortunately lay off due to COVID. And he was like, I kind of want you to see if you want to kind of move to taking over more of these roles. And our current um, product owner I'm really close with. And so just kind of like, I'm kind of getting that back-end view of wanting to do it. Because I told him from the start, this is kind of like, I want to do more. I want to help people. And I want to help people company-wide. So it's very much a surprise. But I'm, I'm happy and I'm very thankful that they're kind of like pushing me into that direction now. So That's awesome. It sounds like you, you took, took the certifications and basically made them an offer they can't refuse, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's really smart. Yeah, I think it's so wonderful to hear about this journey you're on, Caitlin, and I'm so supportive of it. And and if I were um, putting myself kind of at the beginning of a journey, uh, I might guide and suggest that you look into something called Shu, Ha, and Ri. So that's called Learn the Form, Break the Form, and Transcend the Form. And I think maybe even Dr. Jeff Sutherland may talk about it in his book on Scrum. But what's beautiful about this is I think it came from um, 
in Japan. It's uh, so ironic too that that you've uh, been to Japan and everything because it's from um, the martial arts, I believe Aikido, okay. and it's about mastery, right? And um, I might equate something like shuhari to learning music since I love music so much. So. Think of what you're doing right now is learning all the wonderful forms, right? You're learning the form of being a scrum master. You're learning, it's sort of like if I were to say starting a musical journey, it's learning scales, learning your basic key signatures, learning the system of, of you know, uh, key sing- signatures and rhythm and understanding those things and maybe trying things out that other people have tried, right? That's when you're learning the form. Well, the beautiful thing about the journey you're about to take is it's a journey of human artistry. That's what I would call it, right? So at a certain point, when you're really good at the forms, you're gonna start breaking the forms, right? Um, So when you think about George Gershwin, or as a matter of fact, I even feel Beethoven is this way, right? Um, for, For example, of those of you who aren't familiar with classical music, Mozart and some of the classical composers, they created um, canonical forms for classical music that followed certain patterns, right? And actually, you start to see that break apart with Beethoven. His early pieces sound very much like Mozart's pieces. And toward the end, they start to go, whoa, he's starting to break apart those original forms. And that kind of led us into the romantic period of music where Chopin and others could take on, right? So wherever that comes for you in your career, I'm so excited for you, but you will find at a certain point that once you uh, learn the forms, you're going to want to break those forms, right? And then the best part about it is once you break the forms, you may even transcend the forms. And when we transcend the forms, we lead other people into new forms, new forms like jazz and things that have happened, you know, with with, uh, George Gershwin and other musicians who really just took us a whole other direction. So the wonderful thing about the journey you're going to take is I really think Think of yourself as a as an artist, but really study well. Study those forms. Study everything, so so people know that you know those forms really well, and you can always go back to them. I think that um, to add on to what Colleen had said, um, if I could go back in time and and talk to my younger self as a scrum master, or issue any kind of like words of advice to to new upcoming uh, people in a scrum master role it would be don't be afraid to fail and also um related to that and then and the idea of shuhari too is is your team the team that you're working with or teams they have to not be afraid to fail they have to understand what shuhari means at least you know the the idea that Colleen just said you know learning the forms then breaking and transcending the forms once they do get to a certain stage of maturity a ha or a re stage what's a scrum master to do uh, so you're you're as a scrum master you're kind of working yourself out of a job and mm-hmm. that's the other bit of advice I would share with you is like don't be caught off guard when you find yourself uh, in that in that position where you've kind of worked yourself out of the job, um, which isn't to say that you, you have to leave the company or anything like that, but rather now you've got uh, you can start paying attention to other teams or other parts parts of the organization. I think that um, the fact that you're asking this question is a, a, a really good sign, right, of, of where your where your head is at. Um, I think it's a very mature thing to be able to look, you know after being a scrum master for some amount of time um, and still sort of in the early stages of your journey to look back and say, 
uh, you know, it's retrospection, right? You're retrospecting on where you've been and where you're going. And, and it's a very interesting thing, you know, if you could sort of separate yourself out of your body and talk to your uh, self, whatever, eight months ago, a year or so. Um, you know, I, I really think that's a great mindset to have. And I, and I echo with what Colleen and Vic said, right? Don't, don't be afraid to fail. Um, be courageous with experiments. If you have something that you think is a good idea that's going to either improve your skill as a scrum master or your team's ability to deliver value, try things out. I mean, you're working in two-week increments, right? You can, how much damage could you possibly do in two weeks? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I think it's a great question. Yeah. Um, what, so what, 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 what would you say to yourself? I guess for me, it's just it's keep repeating the mantra. I really that really stuck out with me during this run stuff was just you you want to be so kind of what Victor said you want to be so good that you work yourself out of a job because that to me would be like the greatest achievement is to be able to is to make them so self sufficient that they don't rely on me so that I can help other people and I I really like that it's a cycle. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, one of the things that I look back when in times the, when I played that role as scrum master early on in, in this journey. Um, and I, I'm sure we've all been guilty of this at some point, but I was very much, um, you know, going tying back to what Colleen was talking about, about Shu Hari in that Shu stage, um, where I just felt I needed to tell people what to do. Well, I just took the course and the book says this and you're not doing that. So you're doing it wrong. Right. And, uh, I, I think what I've learned now is to sort of, Although you might not know it from my social media and, and from these podcasts, but to, when I'm with teams to exercise a bit of restraint of pen and tongue and uh, mm-hmm. kind of let, you know, step back and let people find their way through things, um, you know, uh, experiment, be courageous. Uh, the team thinks we have a good idea about, you know, how to proceed. Um you know, let's see where that takes us. So I, I think that uh, the idea of being very open to facilitate people's experiments um, and things like that is, is a really good trait for a scrum master and, and to sort of step away from that command and control because don't you know I just took my course and I know what <laughs> I know how it all works. I think I would I these are all really good thoughts. Um one more thing I might suggest you to explore is to lean into your adversary. And I mean this in, in, in two ways, which is um, I think the adversaries that we create are in part ourselves. So lean into that part of yourself. But if we feel that there's an external adversary, it's very important to lean into that because somewhere in that, embedded in that, is a, a conflict of values potentially. And that's where the richness of our growth across the board begins yeah i want to go back if you don't mind to um uh to your journey again um you had said i think before we hit record in in introducing how you became a scrum master you had said someone in your life recommended to you uh the scrum master role was made for you could you elaborate on what are like the characteristics or you know the behaviors or personality traits or whatever it is that made this person say that to you it's my uh fiance um we met in college we actually met i met each we met each other um 
like the day before classes started. It was completely by chance, came friends and stuff. And we've been together um, probably like, I think eight years. It's been since like 2012. So it's been a long time, been a long journey. <laughs> um, but I guess for me, the personality says the most is just my willing to help people. Like I'm willing to drop anything and everything to help other people. But at the same time, I know not to give up on my values and my beliefs too, just to make someone else happy. And then that I'm constantly cheerful and I'm like the most optimistic person he knows. Um, out of all of our friends, I'm the one that can't turn it off. There's always something to look, there's always something positive to see. And he sees it whenever um, we're with our friends or we're with work people and the way I interact with people. It's, I like to listen to people. I my company called me the office mom for the longest time. I actually started off um, with the company. Um, I started off as the office assistant slash the front receptionist completely by chance. And then they took a chance on me because I didn't really have a lot of background in that area. And from there, I just ran with it. I would organize stuff. Um, anytime I would see a problem, like I would try to figure out like a solution that would work more so for the entire company rather than just whatever's easiest for myself. And it's just a lot of, I constantly like look at the areas like work, work, what can I improve on for myself that makes it better for everybody in the long run. Um, that's one of the reasons why they moved me from the, the receptionist to the billing assistant so that they wanted somebody who was new and fresh that could look at, look at all these different, um, old processes and make it something better that's better for the whole company and so I just kind of ran with it most of the time I don't know what I'm doing I'm just like I'm good at asking questions and I, I follow up with people and I really let people know that I do care and even if we have a bad day and we're mad at each other at the end of the day like it's it's a new day we're fine well you you really just tapped into two of Colleen's hot button issues right there. <laughs> you talked about solving problems for the organization and I know Colleen is very very deep in, in in you know studying systems thinking and then you talked about you know kind of that I don't maybe naive what what's the term you used Colleen it's the beginner's mind? Yeah, it is a beginner's mind and actually that's also from Japanese philosophy. So look into that, Caitlin. It's so cool that, you know, you somehow had, you described this pre-connection with Japan. So you might find a lot of great stuff there. <laughs> All right, listeners, what do you think? What advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time to when you first became a scrum master or an agile coach? Let us know on Twitter. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. So the next topic uh, is on the board. Actually, I put it up, but Colleen, you had also indicated uh, interest in this topic as well. I'll kick it off, though, um, because we just got done with the Agile Open Southern California, which was virtual. Um, every year we host this at um, University of California at Irvine. You see Irvine here. Only this year, because of the pandemic and everything else, we decided to make it virtual. And uh, it was a very low cost, low barrier to entry uh, for people. And I think that was great because it opened up to, as, as Caitlin is here to attest, uh, to people from outside of our ge geography. So we had a lot of folks from the Pacific Northwest. We had people from Texas, people from the East Coast, and really all over. Um, we had over 200 people. I can't remember how many was the maximum, I think 220 or so, uh, which was amazing. Uh, it was a day and a half of, 
of uh, sessions. Instead of a full two days, we went a day and a half, and we used Zoom and and a number of other uh, online tools, uh, Miro, Slack. Uh, Chris, I know you were setting up the, you were really um, kind of all over the Slack, um, getting that organized for us. Um, but I just kind of wanted to share that one, we we came up with the idea, and and other people have done online open space too, but we pulled it off. And then I wanted to just get a sense of was there any um, feedback or takeaway in terms of some really hot topics that you you got this time around? Well, first of all, I mean, before we get into the topics that were discussed there, I think the the biggest takeaway I actually got from it was that uh, in this era of Zoom fatigue, it's it's not about the Zoom. It's not about the remoteness. It's about the quality of the interactions. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard it discussed at my company and all around about the worries of Zoom fatigue. And I'm you know, I, I've been experiencing it myself. So I would have to say in the past six months since the pandemic, I have been quite tired. I'm usually pooped by Thursday. And uh, the funny thing is we, we had this meeting on Thursday and Friday and I walked out of there just really refreshed and energized. And I thought to myself, what are the reasons for um, the quality of interaction that we actually had? And I could come up with a number of things, but uh, maybe the basic tenet of open space allowing us to exercise the law of two feet. But beyond that, I think there was a kind of common zeitgeist that we have in our community in Southern California. And we just understand how to create respectful spaces, whether they're virtual or in person. And something was really refreshing about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, this this also sort of ties into the previous topic, Caitlin's topic about advice you would give yourself as a new scrum master. Um, you know, I, I have taken certification courses and I read a lot of books and I participate in online forums. And, and you know, after a, a good while of, of being an agile practitioner of some form or another, I, you know, I've done pretty well for myself. And every now and then I stop to think I, I, I would never have accomplished any of this without my agile community. The books are great. The online forums are great. And the certification classes are, are, are great, but the predominant, you know, um, source of inspiration and knowledge that I've picked up over the years has, be, has come from, you know, like doing things like this with the four, the four of us here or going to these conferences, whether in person or virtual, even Vic, your, your Agile coffees or Agile drink up or all these other, you know, kind of events, whether they're, they're like formal conferences or they're just sort of a get together. Um, Colleen and I were participating in this sort of informal lunch gathering, maybe monthly or something like that. Right. Um, it's just really inspirational to, for me, you're working with your employer or a client or whatever it is and you're just in the weeds and you're turning and there's there's you know contention sometimes and harmony other times and you, you, sometimes I was explaining earlier this idea of being an agile practitioner can sometimes feel very lonely and sometimes it can even lead into some sort of form of like depression or, or or imposter syndrome and then when I get to come together with all of you that all goes away and I feel inspired and uplifted and, and to Colleen's point, I, I leave those, those, those gatherings feeling very energetic. I definitely agree. I think that was really surprising for me. So I wasn't able to take off from work. So I was working throughout the entire conference. So it was really nice to like listen and hear everything. And then 
being able to just switch over from my work computer to Zoom and be able to talk to people. And I mean, I barely left my desk, uh, especially being in Texas with that, the time difference. Yeah. I just remember like I got done on Thursday and I was just so excited. Like I was telling my family about it. I was telling uh, my fiance about it, like all the different conversations. And even the next day too, on Friday, like it was just so, my day was so much better after being a part of the conference. And I really love Colleen's um, quote too, about the quality of the Zoom interactions versus the quantity. And I actually wrote it down on a sticky note somewhere because I couldn't remember who said it. But that was something that just really like resonated with me. And I think it's something that was probably my favorite thing that came from the entire event was just that interconnectivity and be able to not feel exhausted and be so connected with so many different people. And the levels of experience that everyone has is just really inspiring. Caitlin, I have a question for you. Since you were doing some work interspersed with attending the virtual conference, was there at any point over the past two days, was there a situation where you heard something within the scope of your work that was very frustrating and thought to yourself, why well, I wish you could have heard what this person just said in the agile open virtual. Yes, <laughs> I did. More than once. We had to we use Slack too. And I, I see Slack messages pop across my screen. And I'm like, okay, like y'all need to calm down. It's not, you're fine. Yeah, that's good. Now, that was an interesting part of the virtual experience is you know, we, we, we could almost do the Star Trek teleporter <laughs> that, that is not possible in the physical context. And, and it does make me think about this kind of interesting fragmentation in this age of, you know, how you keep attention. So um, for myself, and I completely understand when, when we had to go off and attend to work things, but um, I did say to myself at the beginning of this that I would not attend to work at all, except at lunch, maybe take a peek. And that worked well for me, but but I was sort of thinking, you know, that, that there is an advantage in being a, a kind of a bumblebee between different um, contexts, but I also wanted to, to make sure I was practicing, you know, this complete presence and attention as well. So it, it was tough, but, but I think that's one of the struggles with, with virtual space is that, boy, you can use your Star Trek, you know, beam me up really quickly and end up somewhere else. <laughs> I'll say that um, one observation I had, and again, I was, I was holding the space, so when we would do it in person, in, in geographically altogether, um, in years past, I would be the one who would be in the main room, kind of hanging out, you know, answering questions, kind of observing, that type of thing, not attending sessions. And so in a virtual space, there were a number of us, because we were using Zoom, there were a number of us who were still in kind of the main, the main hall. And, um, and for me, that was really rewarding, because we weren't holding sessions, but we were just kind of getting to know each other or, you know, sharing commentary because we know each other already um, at, at just kind of a different level. There's no agenda. We're just kind of hanging out, being there to answer questions um, for anyone else who would come by uh, or be a butterfly, things like that. But I would um, I would have enough faith in everyone else, kind of the the organize the organizers, um, organi- organizers. I don't know what word that is, but the organizers um, together so that. Uh, if I needed to like put down my headphones and walk away from Zoom for like 45 minutes or something, I could 
um, just because it was online, it was a different a different experience than online open spaces in the past or on or open spaces in the past, I should say. Um, but definitely going back to Chris, how you said it's the community and getting the community together and learning from the community. I wouldn't be here, like you said, without the community too. When I first became a scrum master as well, I was thinking, where do I go for help? And there's books and blogs and videos and podcasts. But really it was, and it's always been the community, um, whether it's through the lean coffees or, or these open spaces or something else that really brought my level up. Yeah, I think I think the thing that stands out to me about our local Southern California Agile community, which I just I have to expect it it's probably the same anywhere, probably in Texas and, you know, back east or wherever, but these local agile communities are so accommodating um, when you're new. I remember going to my first Agile SoCal and I was really nervous and I had full of imposter syndrome like these people are all going to be geniuses and i don't know what i'm talking about and you know i I made friends and met people on day one um you know agile socal is a monthly meeting that we have here um usually in person obviously not now but you know i remember leaving my first agile socal you know and feeling like wow this what a bunch of great people um, very accommodating, very inspirational, and I can you know really learn a lot from these folks. And and now after having been a part of this community for so long, that feeling hasn't changed at all. I still look forward to talking with you, Vic and Colleen and Caitlin and 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 people you know because I know I'm going to come away with a new perspective every single time. As much as as much as I'm can tend to be full of a lot of arrogance and think that I know everything. I always know that when I talk to people like you, I'm going to have a new perspective on things, right? It's happened already within the confines of this this podcast already, right? So I thought it was great. I wasn't surprised that the level of uplift and inspiration I took from the virtual conference, but I was a little surprised that it being virtual, I didn't really see a, 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 a tangible drop in value at all. And I also have to, you know, give a shout out to some of the founders of um, particularly the Southern California open space. You know, Woody was one of them and Diana had been uh, doing what Vic was doing for a long, long time. And I think when I look at people like Woody and Diana, I just love how principled they are as people. Right. It really comes down to that. And, and that value system of true openness and respect is something that I felt we've we've kept, you know, in spite of the fact that they um, may or may not join as much as they they have. Although it was great because now with virtual, they could pop in <laughs> and they did. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was wonderful to see so many, like you said, luminaries of our uh, of right. the Agile Open um, going yeah. back years and years. And I mean that's a great point, right? Because you know, Woody's a great great example, or even Chris Lucian, who's sort of a well, I don't know if it's if it's accurate to say he's a protege of Woody's, but I kind of look at it that way. But you know, really, really highly intelligent, very very technical people, who when I first heard speak. They seemed like, you know, so far away from where I was, right? They seemed like like celebrities. And in a very short time, I've come to know those guys and, and you know, we can have a very casual conversation about agile software development or baseball or any 
topic under the sun, right? So it's 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 a great community, and and so I think anybody listening to this podcast, no matter what where you live, you know, embrace your local agile community because there's a tremendous amount of inspiration and education there. Embrace the local agile community. That's good. Good words to end on there. Thank you, Chris. The next topic up, Colleen, is yours. My adventures outside of agile that have made me better. Systems, complexity. Yes. So it's so interesting that we started this wonderful podcast with um, Caitlin asking us about journeys, right? And uh, um, I think about two years ago, after just a lot of immersion in Agile and our Agile community, I faced sort of an existential crisis, just my own, my own internal one, um, about really honestly being bored, bored with Agile. hate to say it, but I was pretty much bored with capital A Agile and kind of went outside to, to seek inspiration. And I think that sort of, that kind of pattern of, of, of breaking your own norms is something that's just very intrinsic to who I am, right? I think it comes from just a, a background in loving arts, theater, music, and just saying, you know, if you really want to become good, um, at exercising any kind of art form, sometimes you just have to adventure, venture out in, into different spaces. And so I, I think one of the, the paths that I took has been so rewarding um, into systems and studying complexity science. Because what, what, what I really realized that the Agile community taught me was how little control we have, right? So, um, but... I'm also not somebody to say, you know, abdicate life in general, you have zero control. And so kind of finding what this ultimately meant for me uh, was about, yes, we may not be able to control a lot, but I also realized through this, this, this journey of studying complex systems that we do have agency. We do have agency. And so um, this all culminated in a talk that I gave at the Business Agility Institute in March when the pandemic broke. But um, I think in the study of complexity, I've been following a lot of really, really great scientists and other people who study patterns in nature. And um, just an interesting story that I told this led me down the path of studying starling birds. And um, I don't know if, if you guys know about starling birds, but they flock in flocks of thousands, right? And what some avian scientists actually discovered is that their flight pattern kind of stays in a hum, and that's called murmuration. And when it actually changes, it's, it's not that the whole flock decides to change. It's actually the first two to seven that then change the whole flight pattern. And I thought that that could be such a wonderful almost template for how organizations change and not to give up hope because you could be part of the first two to five to seven people that start to change the patterns. And I think um, that's kind of influenced, I guess I found a way to, to say, if, if you were to ask me what school of Agile I come from, I would say the school of nature. <laughs> and yes, okay, so going back to that thing that we were talking um, about with Caitlin earlier, I take the profession very seriously. I do study all the forms I've studied, you know, whether it's safe or less or scrum. I want to know those forms deeply and I do use some of those things in in, in the practice. I think it's very important. And, and it's also important as a common sort of 
language basis with the rest of my community to study those. But when 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 somebody asked, you know, well, what what model is Pacific Life? What, what do you follow? I said it's non-canonical, and and and, if, and as long as I'm here at the company I'm at, it will remain non-canonical because. I believe that this 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 pattern of agility is going to emerge from our own flock somehow, and I may not even be part of the first five to seven birds. I, that that's that's not the important part. The important part is let the pattern emerge and guide it to the place that it's going to naturally settle. And so I'm still to this day just completely captivated by all these natural patterns around us that can really inform. How change really happens, and how we need to respect the things that happen in nature. So I don't know what it's called, but I do think that、um, studying all kinds of complexity and and how nature works is so important in what we do. Yeah, it's 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 that's very interesting because、uh, you know we heard Caitlin talking before about what. Ultimately, triggered her to pursue pursue a, a career in in you know agility, and what we heard was that people she knew recognized those traits in her outside of the scope of you know software development or organizational agility. They recognized the agile values and principles in just her interactions with her friends and her family and her、um, you know coworkers in jobs unrelated to technology. So I think that's super interesting. What 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 I've noticed, or if I look back on you know my career as a practitioner,、um, I, there was some point along the way where I started to more holistically recognize、um, how these values and principles you know affect all areas of my life. It, it used to be when I was early on in this journey that I would go to work and I would put on my agile practitioner hat and then I would leave for the day and then I would come back and be the same old person, completely unaware of you know all this we've learned about about psychological safety and collaboration and teamwork and and all these things. And then at some point that that start that that line started to get blurred a little bit, right? And I started to. Um, embrace these values and principles in, in my life,、um, Colleen. I remember many agile opens ago. You held a session about how can we take all that we've learned and apply it to、um, government. And、uh, I think shortly thereafter, you had a run-in with the mayor of Anaheim on a hike. And I think you you even put together a Trello board. Where we were, the people who were in that breakout session, where we were supposed to、um, contribute ideas to it. Obviously, we didn't follow through, and you did. So, <laughs> but、uh, but no, I think I think these、um, I, I take I take inspiration from a lot of different areas these days. Kind of like you were you were saying, Colleen.、Um, I, a, a great example is about a year, two years ago, somebody rec- rec- recommended a book for me. Um, and they suggested it can help me as an agile practitioner. And I said, "Great! What's the name of the book?" And the book was "How to Talk How to Talk to Little Kids So That They'll Listen." I, I may have messed up the name a little bit, but it's something to that effect, right? How to talk to little kids so that they'll listen. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? This what a ridiculous suggestion!" But I got the book,、uh, an audio version, and I listened to it. And you know, 
I, I could hear as the author was, was, you know, reading the book off, I could hear all the different areas that resonate with, you know, what I do as a profession. So um, I think there's a lot of synergy between, you know, agile values and principles and just the everyday things we go through in life. Um, and, and Colleen, I did, I did, what were the birds called? Well, I mean, the, the flight patterns are called murmuration, murmuration. Yeah, it's a little bit. And, and there's pictures of it. Maybe I can send it to uh, a great picture oh. of it. It's such beautiful pictures. I was going to of- say, um, in your presentation at the business Agil- for the Business Agility Institute, you had a video, didn't you? Um, uh, or was it just I the might, photos? I think it might just be a photo. But, yeah, there's definitely um, videos on YouTube of murmuration. It's so interesting to watch these how the, these, the they just start birds, to right? move. Yeah, it's just it's wild, you know. It, is that the same concept? I don't know if you've seen this, but there are these um, these big balls of fish in the ocean. They call them bait balls, actually. And they move, the whole yeah. ball of fish moves very harmoniously and cohesively with one another. Yeah. And as well, a matter yeah. of when they're attacked by a predator, they, they, they split mm-hmm. into two big things and then the predator swims off and they come back together right away. It's, it's, yeah, and then and it's just sort of like different systems too because I've studied uh, fish that sort of swim in a U shape, and um, I realized somebody was talking about um, it's a parabolic deflector. So in math, if you know like the parabola, it has this foci; it still has a focus, um, and that's where the little fish swim, and that's how they, they they actually eat more because if they are in the shape of a parabola, then there's this natural place in which little fish go toward kind of this focus point and so it's just really interesting and I think um, being aware of a panoply of different systems is just so important right and I think some myths that that people have about oh you know agile means everything's flat you know and, and, and you don't have management and you know there's these really interesting myths that perpetuate and, and, and I say, well, wait a second. In some systems, flatness is good. In others, it is not. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to say that if, if the military is going to adopt forms of Agile that they won't have chains of command. That would be probably a horrible thing. You certainly wouldn't want to be, you know, have, have let's just have the group decide whether or not we're going to take that hill or do this or, uh, you know, form some kind of a, a counterattack, you know. So I think... Just respecting those different systems is is so cool, and I think we just have so much to uncover there. We're just beginning. If I could live vicariously through anyone, it may be you because um, you've done – lately, you've gone to Galapagos, but before that, you were like studying to be a death – doula is that right you you had talked about yoga at a deep level on how yoga is similar and how you can learn lessons from yoga in in the workplace um we had talked uh at one episode we were at your house uh recording an episode and we talked about the whole food systems of health and and you had talked about um uh, a group of of women organizers in the south and i'm just like looking at you colleen all the time and thinking where are you going to go next and what are you going to bring what's the gold nugget that you're going to bring from that experience back to our community well it's interesting that you mentioned the doula one because that journey was so important to me and I'll tell you, it, it does relate to Agile. So I don't know how many of you guys know what a death doula is, but it's somebody who helps people transition to die. You know, and, and unfortunately, in most cases, in um, a lot of our Western society, we're afraid to broach the topic of, of death, right? So um, 
You know how at Amazon and in different places, and even within Scrum, we say have a definition of done, start with the end in mind, right? And if you just take that concept of starting with the end in mind, I said to myself, whoa, just doing a project or a program, that's not enough for me. I want to start with the end in mind for my whole arc of life. And how would I go about doing this? So I discovered that there was a certification for being a death doula. And I took a chance on it because this was all on my own time and dime, not a cent of Pacific life, you know, and took time off from work for it and told my boss, I'm going to this weird training. So, you know, see ya. Um, I'll be out for a few days. And I remember we were driving up uh, to L.A. where it was um, going to be held. And my husband was very dubious. He's like, this sounds like a complete downer, dark, it's scary. Why are you doing this? And I said, hey, I am just this ultimate adventurer because if if we can't frame our lives with the definition of done, I don't think we're going to have meaning. And, and that's what we seek as human beings. And so I said, I'm going to do this. So three days with... Um, the most amazing people on earth. These were like hospice workers, chaplains, um, other people who were just like really leaning into um, transitioning people in their last moments. And I literally spent three days completely in awe and in that kind of interesting state where you're almost in tears, but you're completely open and vulnerable. Um, and I said, this is the most important thing I think I'm, I'm doing in my whole life because we spent the three days doing things like writing our own um, eulogies as an exercise to say what would we want to be remembered for, uh, writing our final vigils of what would we want our situation to be if we could have it because there is a practical aspect. Oftentimes families struggle with knowing what you would want in those last minutes. So write it down, write it down, you know, and, and let people know. And even, I guess the biggest thing through this exercise is uh, that I discovered was, and, and it did prove to be true, I asked all these people who are constantly immersed in death, the hospice nurses and everything, I said, well, what is the thing that causes the greatest angst in people in their final moments, right? And they said the lack of meaning. They said you could be the richest person, the most famous, whatever, the poorest, or it doesn't really matter. It, it's not a matter of socioeconomics or anything. But those who felt that they lacked meaning, A, and B, left relationships that were unresolved, right? And I said, oh, my God, this, uh, this could come back to our Agile community as well. Because we talk about, you know human relationships as being really, really important and how organizations move at the speed of trust and all this. But I think it just magnified for me the importance of the work we do at a small level and then what kinds of things we could do to help change society and these conversations about, hey, we're, we're all here for a short time, right? And, and what are the things that we want to, what's the meaning we want to take away? And then how can we not leave unrequited, unresolved relationships that we feel like are, are weighing us down. And I just, I, I, I leaned into every moment with those people. I asked them about all the stories without, you know, naming names and, and, and giving away any confidentiality about the, 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 the people who left with, um, or, or were just had horrible angst about relationships that were unresolved. And I said, wow, this is powerful stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I unfortunately, even though I took the class, um, 
I, I don't have time right now to be a, a certif- uh, finish my certification because you actually have to go and then maintain vigils with people and families. And, and obviously you can't just say, okay, I've got to go to my day job now. It's like when people are at that point, you have to um, help them all the way through. And so this is something I, I may pick up later. But yeah, Vic, I mean, that was just mind blowing for me. And, and I just, I think there's so much that I learned from that more than anything else that, that really guides kind of the way I think about teams and people. It's, it, 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 it also sort of resonates with like, you know, if we're talking about the, the other topic about what we took from the agile open, right. Um, you hear people all the time say, yeah, these breakout sessions were great. And I learned about paired programming or I learned about unit testing, but what I really found the most value in were these conversations in the hallways and making connections with people. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think the biggest, the, the most value I take from this agile community is, are are the relationships, not that somebody taught me about test driven development or somebody taught me about pair programming, but it's the relationships that we make. Right. Um, and you know, I'll be honest when I'm, when I'm at work, um, and, and the situation comes up, I'll often draw on conversations I've had with, with you, you know, with Vic, Colleen, Caitlin, we interact on the, on, uh, Mike Cohn's online forum. Um, I'll draw, I'll draw on those things. I even made a post on Mike Cohn's, uh, forum recently where I, I sort of said every time as a consultant, every time I go into a new engagement, I really take all of you along with me. Right, all of the, all of the the relationships I've developed and the the, the knowledge I've picked up, or even the uh, what I sometimes refer to as the bedside manner, right? The, the my approach with people, I, you guys are all there along with me. I'm drawing from you know inspiration from you guys all the time, um, and you know back to more to the point of this topic is I'm starting to see that uh, in my you know manifest itself in my own life, conversations with my wife. I'll think about like, you know, am I understanding her underlying needs, thinking about Lorraine Aguilar and nonviolent communication and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting to me how my, um, uh, my experience is sort of the, the, the flipped over from what Caitlin described, right? As I said earlier, Caitlin sort of described her having this life outside of, tech and agility and people recognized traits and agile values and principles in, in the way she carries herself. And for me, I just, it taking this journey was almost arbitrary, not, not completely. I mean, there were some triggers in my professional career that led to it, but after I got into it, then I started to realize what the agile values and principles were, what the, what, positive, you know, character, personality characteristics you need to be successful. And, you know, I had to kind of by brute force, uh, you know, fake it till you make it. And then that, that's just kind of sort of taken over the way I just am as a person. So it's, it's really interesting. Do you, uh, uh, Caitlin, do you, um, do you see these things that you picked up when, you know, and learning, you know, taking your courses or, or, you know, doing the job as a scrum master, do you see you uh, employing these ideas in your everyday life? I do. It's as what I was going to comment too, um, with what you said, how you kind of take everybody with you. Um, 
I'm not as like heavy practicing yet with Scrum Master. Like in like in theory, like I know it and I understand it and the values and everything. And I'm still trying to get used to practicing it. But I've noticed like I started doing it um, when I got my first certification. I started doing it in the accounting department. I was like, this is how we're going to do projects because it makes the most sense to do it this way, and we can kind of constantly improve it. And then I been doing it since the beginning but it's one of those things like you don't realize it and then when I got more active in Mike Cohn's group I was like every time I would read a post I'd be like that's really cool and I know there's been several posts where I've read people have commented about like what do you do in this situation or how do you how do you talk to somebody that is like a brick wall and I just remember like anytime that happens to me at work where I, I hit like if I'm talking to a customer and it's like a brick wall or if I'm talking to a coworker, I kind of think back and look in the retrospective of what would they do or how, how should I approach this as a scrum master following these values. And I just think it's really, it's, it's really reassuring to have all these connections and these values and stuff and seeing them that I may not be from a tech background, but they still resonate with me. And I think that's helping me, um, with the groups and the conference is helping me kind of see like, this is the more technical side that I can learn more of. And it's just really like enforcing everything that I've already learned and what I believe in. You know what else is really interesting to me as you, as you were saying that it just sort of dawned on me. And I think Colleen, both you and Vic exemplify this and maybe I'm sort of starting to, uh, <laughs> you know, exhibit these characteristics. The more we, the more we am- we go down this path of agility and we embrace agile values and principles and, and we start to draw on other areas outside of tech to kind of, uh, you know, improve our approach. I, I, I see myself and I've always seen this with Colleen and Vic as being very philanthropic, right? Just just willing and not even, not just willing, but, but enthusiastic about giving all of this back, right? Giving, giving all of this away. I mean, Vic, you do a tremendous amount of free work for the Agile community. And Colleen, you do, you, you, like Vic said, you are s- spread out into all sorts of different areas where you're employing, you know, Agile values and principles and what you've learned. And, and like, I imagine that the folks at the, the, the class you took, the death doula class, probably gleaned a tremendous amount of um, inspiration from you because of what you brought to the table, right? Um, it's really interesting how people in this community, you know, exhibit so much philanthropy. It's, it's, I, I don't see that in any other profession, really. Um, yeah. It's, it's well, really- it's so interesting because when, when you talk about philanthropy, I mean, it's nice to label it that way, but I, I, I see it also as um, a form of energy exchange because I, I was listening to this talk done by a brilliant historian about, um, you know, the problems with uh, an empire and having too much power. And there's this really great talk um, right now that was given by a, a historian and just looking at the context of um, the U.S. And, and its current tremendous power. And, and one of the challenges is all empires die. You know, but some empires last a longer time and they know how to sustain longer because they recognize their role in helping create institutions and structures and other things. Well, if you kind of take that, it's, 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 I think that the part of the community I like so much is that I don't think 
any one of us exhibits total power. In fact, that would be contrary to the community. We're always exchanging this kind of energy and information, and that's how it's sustained because it's not just one person and it's not just one thing. And so there's so much to be said, I think, about um, distributing a lot of our knowledge among each other. So in some ways, it's it's less philanthropy from the way I see it and more just a necessity for us to remain viable humans. You know, one, one thing I was going to add real quick that when you were saying it reminded me, I don't know how familiar any of you are with um, recovery and 12-step programs and things like that, but one of the core tenets of, of recovering from some sort of substance abuse or alcoholism or drug addiction or anything like that is, um, you know, the 12 steps teach you certain things and they give you a toolbox to deal with the challenges of, of your addiction. But really the, the core of that to maintain sobriety is to give it back. Right. And, and, and that's how people who are successfully, who successfully stay sober, drug-free, whatever the, the addiction may be, maintain that level of sobriety for a long period of time. They're constantly giving, giving it back. And when they stop giving it back, that's when they become the most vulnerable to you know, relapses and, and falling back into old ways. And I see a lot of synergy between that and the Agile community. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've just had conversations with other agile practitioners. We don't work together. We're just part of the same community. And just, just the conversation, maybe me giving a little advice, uh, like Caitlin said about a situation I've been in and this is how I handled it. And I had a positive outcome. As I'm articulating those things, I can feel the positivity, uh, you know, growing inside me and the motivation to go do a better job. So I think there's a lot to be said for giving back. So listeners, what do you think? What are your own adventures outside of Agile and, and how have they influenced your own practice and, and that of your team? Let us know on Twitter. Use the hashtag tell Agile Coffee. So we've got a couple more topics here today. Uh, we've got the next one, Chris, is yours. It says, uh, what do developers do while code is being tested? I love so, it. Provocative. Uh, short and sweet. I, I got into a conversation recently with a scrum master and I sort of I sort of picked up on the fact that he might be a reluctant scrum master and he he he, he very he he was very convinced that there's a there's a problem in scrum that that exists everywhere and scrum and agile practitioners just don't have a good answer for it and the problem is you know, if you've got a two-week sprint and you write code for seven days and then throw it over the walls of the testers who are going to test for three days, then you have developers who do nothing for three days. So now you have to find other low-value busy work to keep them um, maximally utilized. And I just thought the question itself demonstrated to me a, I guess, a fundamental misunderstanding of of a lot of things, of Deming principles, of shifting quality concerns left, concepts like TDD, where you, you know you often hear people describe it as development and testing should be indistinguishable from one another, right? More collaboration, small batch sizes, cross functionality, all these ideas. I think that question stems from a perception that 
roles are very defined and rigid and people in certain roles can only do that thing and then you hand it off to the next person and on and on and on and that's you know when you get this idea of oh well the developers are sitting around for three days because the testers are busy testing code so i'm just wondering um well wondering if you guys have had the same experience um and i'm wondering what what we as an agile community can do to sort of break this idea of only one person in a single role can do a single thing. Um, we have to hand things off continually. Um, it's just it's just really interesting to me. It's, it's really interesting to me that the idea of collaboration is just not innate to so many people. This is so interesting because it actually relates to a topic I brought to the open yesterday on day two. Um, and it's something that, uh, I guess, in my shoes, this is something that requires some support and help from leadership, right? And so um, the topic that I brought up yesterday was entitled Swiss Cheese Teams, and it was about HR hiring, right? And what is Swiss Cheese? I, I, I like the image of Swiss Cheese because if you look at the way roles are structured, today, right, when we hire for them, it's like plugging a hole. So it's like, here, this person belongs in that hole of the cheese and it'll be full and, you know, and then, oh, nope, one of the holes fell out. Let's go, let's go fill that hole again. And so in some ways, you know, I, I do empathize and sympathize a lot with developers and teams because the organizational structure and the way in which roles are defined really discourages um, exploration outside of perceived boundaries, right? And so some of this stuff is, you know, something that perhaps if you're able to, you know, address with leadership and ask them how fluid are the roles in this particular organization? Because that, that's one of the, the places to start. And that's, that's kind of the, uh, one of the topics, the key topics um, around business agility at the Business Agility Institute is what do you hire for? Do you hire for a role or actually are you hiring for aptitude and other qualities, you know, that that enable people to continuously grow? And if you if you think about it, people that are fluid are a huge part of creating organizational agility. If we define people in these Swiss cheese holes and then when we hire, instead of saying, how much of this cheese could this person be? And we say, no, they're only going to fill this hole. That just continues to perpetuate this model. And so I'm really curious about your experience in this company and others. But I think that is a place where we could do a lot more work with leadership, partnering with HR to re-examine what roles are and what skills are, right? Are the skills really Java or are they thinking in algorithms and using kind of logical constructs to build code and communicating them well with your teammates, right? I mean, I think we, we often, um, we don't hire for those things. Uh, one of the things I love to do in, in our hiring practices, and at first it honestly drove a lot of people crazy, but we put uh, people into these um, actual scenarios where we, we ask them to do things and we might ask them to actually mob with us instead of saying, you know, how much Java do you know? It's not about that when we're actually get sure, we're, we're, we're testing for Java or whatever, but we're also testing for how well that person works on a team. 
So it, it's just, it's interesting that you brought that up because I think um, going back to your topic, it, it just starts to, to really question in my mind how much we should be really thinking about helping the teams formulate or give them permission to, to kind of break out of their mold. Yeah, it's a great metaphor, right? The Swiss cheese holes, because um, I think <laughs> I, I had a conversation about this recently. I think what I see a lot is they hire to fill the hole in the Swiss cheese and they would love for that person to grow into the whole slice of cheese, but they're not going, the organizations don't provide a margin to learn to grow, right? The organ, a lot of organizations talk a big game about continuous improvement and, and, and continued education and learning and growing, but implicitly the message is, yeah, that's all great as long as you do it on your own time, right? <laughs> because while you're here, you're going to fill that hole in the Swiss cheese. Yeah, that's but that's where the role of, of the scrum master, if you're doing scrum or the coach or the guide or someone uh, is really important, is to encourage yeah. that because, as you said, normally organizations, traditionally, they don't provide that that time, those those resources for, for staff to grow into the the slice of cheese. I'm not sure <laughs> that's the <laughs> metaphor, but, but as a scrum master, and again, as, as a coach, when I was working a few years back um, at a client, I had people from the, the QA group and, and the developer group kind of at, 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 um, at ends with each other, like in conflict with each other, um, because there was that whole idea of taking something and throwing it over the wall. And within any given sprint, they would do a mini waterfall. And that's, that's what we're trying to encourage them to kind of, again, going back to the Shuha Reed, kind of transcend that, um, get beyond thinking in, in those terms. On the Again, on a scrum team, everyone is is just a scrum team member, a dev team member. They're not a developer or a tester and and so on. Um, And a lot of other um, agile processes or methodologies or practices also celebrate that. One team is an XP principle too, going back to that. And I think that that's, uh, again, incumbent on the scrum master to keep reinforcing that with his or her team um, to try to get people who might have come from a testing background to think of themselves as partners with people who are doing design work or development work, pairing with them, um, sharing early in the process. If you're using sprints, sharing early, um, here's the strategy that I would like to use to test it. And, and what's your strategy for writing it or designing it and and sharing those and, um, those conversations. Um, there's so much that you can do again, going back to, like you said, the Deming, uh, principles of shifting quality to the left. There's so many opportunities for that. And a good scrum master is always looking for those lessons that they can share with their team on, on how, how to do that and introducing them at retrospectives or at other parts throughout the, the process. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think the conversation that, that stemmed this, uh, that prompted this topic really, it, it what it illustrated to me was, um, I, I've heard I've said this before, Vic. I'm sure you've heard me say it before. Is one of the big things that I promote is is resolving problems rather than masking symptoms, right? And I think if you're looking to optimize your handoffs, you're just masking symptoms, right? And I really love the the question 
um, I'm going to write it down when this is done because I, the, the question Colleen posed is if you go to the people in your organization and just ask them point blank, how fluid are these roles, right? Do, are, you, are you willing to accommodate the idea that your software developer may learn some, you know, cucumber skills and some DBA skills and, uh, you know, things like that? Or you just want your Java developer heads down with their headphones on sitting in the dark writing Java code. And, you know, funny thing is you can even run a, a short two-week experiment mm -hmm. by just asking the team how fluid they think their skills are. Because I guarantee you there's no leader that's going to complain if suddenly the roles just become magically more fluid and, and delivery starts to to really, um, you know, be very successful. They're, they're, they're not going to come back and say, what, you know. But, you know, it isn't, it's always interesting to me to say, when, when you ask somebody on a team, what is your role and, and do you think, do you think that, or do you, would you like to try other things to help the team? I really like that, what you're talking about with the, how HR and just hiring people to only fill one role. And it, to me that it just limits the company and it limits the whole process and just that, that growth. Um, I think it's there's a lot of value in companies that hire people that don't just fit a role. It's you're looking at the personality, you're looking at this is one skill set, but that on paper looks great. But how do you apply that skill set? Can you communicate? Um, can you grow as a person? Can you grow with the company? Because if you're not growing, you're not going to stay there. You're not going to be of long term value to anybody. Okay. And, and I and think, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just say, Caitlin, and aren't you a good example of that, right? I mean, you told us your story where you started as the receptionist and now you're working in accounting and billing and transitioning to a scrum master. Um, there are companies who would have hired a receptionist and that was the hole in the Swiss cheese they were looking to fill and there would have been no, you know, um, sort of long-term vision as to what value this person can bring to our organization. It's true. That's what it started out for me when they hired me. They just thought it was just going to be that. But it, I just fell in love with the culture and everything and the people. Um, fell in love with our dev team, a lot of our developers and stuff. I came really close with them whenever I wasn't um, at my front desk. Because, I, I, like I said, I, there's no technology background. And so whenever I was not busy, I would always be sitting by one of our product team, the people that help design the, um, our product and stuff. And I would just pick her brain apart and she would walk me through the process of creating an account. Um, I would look at some of the code that our dev team was writing and I was like, what does that do? And they were really patient with me. And so it just kind of developed and grew that interest. And now I'm like, oh, this is like really cool because I've seen all aspects of it. And I'm like, I want to help more. I want to make it better for everybody in the long run and it's, it's a scrum master if i'm helping to organize them like that's great for helping them self-organize so okay caitlin your homework for the next agile open is to join one of the mob programming dojos i almost did if i wasn't working i was going to join it i was i was using my only computer to do it so i was like i was going back from my work computer and my little laptop but that's on the goal that's the goal <laughs> All right, let's move on then to our last and final topic. That's a little bit of redundancy built in there. Um, Colleen, this is your your topic. You have uh, donut economics. You want to kick this off for us? Yeah, so um, it's interesting. You know, every journey in Agile leads to another journey. And um, 
I was talking about um, one of the, the areas that needs the most work in our whole community, we have to admit, is the product owner role. I mean, let's be honest, as, as um, a number of us here are experienced coaches across multiple organizations, what's the most common way in which transformation starts. It starts within technology, and then you have the tail wagging the dog, right? I mean, because in essence, technology in the bigger picture really answers the question of how, not why and not what. We're part of the how. So you have the how trying to wag the why, right? And um, this, this whole thing really got me thinking about how we always joke about the absent product owner and different situations like that. And it's, it, it's because of the fact that we're starting from the tail of the dog and not the head of the dog. And when you really think about the need is when there's a vision and then there's an investment by senior executives or by um, however a company is invested, that, that's the formulation of the why. And that becomes then what? What do we have to do, right? But somehow we, we always talk about value. It's like value is thought about afterwards. So in this whole journey about value, I, I was sort of thinking about um, a lot of times, even in our current organizations today, if we're project-based, we articulate value largely in terms of money. And it's not bad or good. It's, it's just that, um, you know, in traditional project management, you've got cost and quality and all these traditional ways of articulating value, right? And that's still, that, that whole notion of the monetary value just also just didn't satisfy my appetite for like what value could mean, what value could mean. And, and I was really searching for some luminaries to kind of guide me in, is there a different way to think about value? And one of the great books that um, I'm completely enamored with right now is called Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth. And she talks about this very beautiful but simple model that I think will be very awesome if we could just teach it to even elementary school students or I think anybody can understand it. So she's, she has this model and it's, it's, it's the model of a donut. And she says, well, in traditional economics, we, we value growth. And so growth is a key measurement. And, and we know in our, uh, in our economies, we value um, the, the gross domestic product and, and continuous growth. And there have been a number of people since the 70s that have challenged the viability, the long-term viability of the Western economic growth model where you're ad infinitum, just growing and growing and growing. And so the long-term effect of this is, is we've done a lot of things unintentionally using this system as we've created wealth disparity. And we've also ruined our environment, right? So those are two basic things that have unintentionally come out of this growth model that was intended to generate wealth, right? And so so Kate Rayworth says that a picture is kind of worth a thousand words because some of the most heretical pictures ever kind of changed our world, whether it was moving from, you know, an Earth-centric to a, a solar-centric um, system. And, and just pictures are really powerful. So her, her donut model is this. If you picture a donut, the center of the donut is sort of abject poverty, if you think of it. And we don't want anybody in the center of the donut. And outside of the periphery of the donut is kind of what the earth can sustain without breaking down because the earth is a closed system and, and we can't constantly extract 
resources from it without killing it and then killing ourselves. So she says somewhere in the middle there is where humanity needs to be. And that's the sweet spot. And that's why she uses the donut, right? So we need to be on the donut ring where we're not pushing beyond what our environment can tolerate. And we're also not so slow and not generating enough wealth so that then people fall into the center of the donut and are victims of abject poverty, which a lot of the world is still in the center of the donut, right? And so anyway, that's the basic concept uh, of the book. And uh, I'm doing this journey largely because I want to shift the conversation. I would love it if we would actually rename the product owner as the value owner and really start to talk about value in a completely different way. It isn't is and isn't the, I, I I like the idea of, of um, <clears throat> referring to the product owner as the value owner, and I think one of the challenges is isn't that isn't it the owner part that we struggle with um, because typically the person in that role doesn't really have any true ownership. Well, I shouldn't say typically. Uh, anecdotally, in my experience, the person in that role doesn't often have true ownership. They're a proxy for, uh, and I learned this term recently, but I've been abusing it. Um, they're a proxy for the hippo, right? And the hippo is the highest paid person's opinion. Not based on any, on any statistical analysis of the market, what, peop, what customers truly find valuable, how we as an organization can make our customers' lives better through solutions to their domain level problems. It's the highest paid person's opinion. And I've worked in a ton of organizations that have had been run by hippos. Um, and quite often, uh, hippos don't yield ROI. Whether your ROI is, is money or if you're a nonprofit and you're trying to you know, make, a, make a situation better, such as poverty or teen pregnancy or whatever, whatever you, the positive outcome you're looking for, if you're driven by hippos, there's a disconnect. There's going to be a disconnect with what the what the the customers find valuable, and so I've always struggled with the second half of that um, title, the ownership part, because I don't see a lot of empowerment. Um, but that's and- I think that's partially structural. I think you know from what I see in it, it again gets into this whole topic that the business agility community is trying to uncover, which is how things are funded, right? I mean, and then what would happen, you know, if, if, if a team and a product owner was truly given um, the responsibility for the funds, right? Today, that's really not true in a lot of cases. And I fully agree with you that the product owner is a proxy of somebody else who's responsible for the financial piece. And even beyond that, you know, financial return, I think, isn't the only thing we should be looking at. Um, and so that's 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 a bigger, I think that's going to take a long, long time, but there are plenty of amazing thought leaders out there, people way smarter than myself that I just totally am a, a beginner student of that are thinking about this. And, and um, another woman uh, that I think about is Mariana Mazzucato from the London School of Economics. You know, she did a great talk on... Um, a podcast on the Long Now Foundation, and she talks about how we conflate value with price. And everything is pegged to price in our economy. And I think about it in a small way, in a microcosm, you know, the way um, a lot of our projects are, are managed in traditional organization is it's pegged to a price. <laughs> and everything about it is can you achieve that price? 
can you can you get the work done within a certain price and so again what does that value mean? I'm turning to all these other people to help us maybe um, shift the conversation about value and start to change it really slowly. But I, I personally think some of the most exciting work we can do in the Agile community is around value. Um, and and, and that there's just so much there. And I'm really excited to, to start learning it. Yeah. Caitlin, are you, um, as you're a new Scrum Master, are you working with product owners in your... Uh on your teams yet? Not really. I'm more of just listening into a lot of the, the back-end ceremonies. Um, I am friends with the product owner of our company. Um, I've worked really closely with her for various things. And she was one of the reasons, another reason why I, I highly respect her um, and the way she handles stuff. She is the way her brain works. She's on top of everything for the entire company. Like she's the head operations manager. She handles everything. And so it's, interesting to me to think about especially when I first started because I, I got caught I got um, a piece of the product owner being a unicorn conversation um, during the conference and I just thought it was really interesting because sometimes product owners get so busy that they're not there they're there but they're not there and especially true with her and like in my experience with her um, she's constantly busy because she's putting out so many other fires and so I just thought it was really interesting that maybe do maybe with the Colleen said changing that to um, being more of a value owner rather than just the product owner. And I think that would really pinpoint and bring out more um, role, more of the role of the product owner to me, I guess, would be more of that value for the customers and what are they bringing to the plate more and kind of help brighten or broaden their um, horizons and creating more roles and more distinctions that kind of help um, create that value that is sometimes not always there because they're so busy or they're too busy um, focused on um, like the hippos like what is this one person saying instead of as a whole like what's better for the company what's better for the product what's best for the customer if that makes sense <laughs> there's a there's a really great video about this what, what we're talking about um, now um, especially when Caitlin, when you were describing a product owner who also has eight other jobs, and Colleen, you were talking about the you know the proverbial joke in agility is the absentee product owner. Um, there's a video by a guy named maybe you guys have seen this. There's a video by a guy named David Marquette. It's it's a YouTube video. It's a 10 minute video. It's called Greatness by David Marquette, and it and it talks about the idea of leaders providing intent as opposed to explicitly providing commands and and the example used is submarine commander and the submarine commander had to be all over the submarine all the time you had to be in 15 places at once to give commands and what they noticed was the submarine was just operating suboptimally right and and what he did was he he and he took a step back and he said, look, all these individual people who run this submarine are much smarter than me about, you know, how to operate a submarine. I'm going to give my overall intent and rely on, you know, their expertise to run this sub, navigate this submarine, dive, surface, all this, <laughs> shoot, shoot torpedoes, all this stuff um, to get the positive outcomes that, that they want. Um, now, that doesn't really address Colleen's point about 
a lot of organizations are they're they're so hyper focused on the monetary outcome, right? Um, but it does sort of speak to the idea of value ownership and providing in, intent, right? I mean, if we think about product ownership, I I heard this from Craig Larman. I think I think Craig Larman is repeating what. Um, Ken Schwaber said about the product owner, and he said the product owner has two jobs, to communicate requests and to prioritize them. So he doesn't delve into the how. He doesn't tell people how to execute, uh, you know, or give them very granular, detailed execution tasks. He's, he's providing intent. Um, and presumably that intent aligns with value, right? The value that, that they're going to deliver to the people who would then pay them for that value. ROI, um, but you know, going back to Colleen's point, I think I think we, I, well, I hope that we're on the on the cusp of um, corporations looking at their place in the world in a different way. I think Colleen, you brought up the environment. Um, our need, you know, the the Earth is a is a finite resource. Um, I hope that corporations start looking at their place in the world in, in terms of there are real economic opportunities in respecting the environment and bolstering the environment. Um, you know, humanitarian efforts, starvation, poverty, all these things. It's not one or the other. And I think a lot of the political hyperbole we hear presents it as one or the other. You can right. either protect the environment or your company can be profitable. Right. There's a lot of union there. There's a lot of economic opportunity for big corporations to be better global citizens. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm hopeful for, that we're sort of uh, moving in that direction. I think we could probably go on for another couple hours on these topics. Yeah. Um, having said that, though, I, I, I'm... It's time for us to uh, to end our session. Um, I think we've run out of coffee here. As we go out, um, Colleen's going to play a little uh, some ukulele music for us on our way out. Um, before I do that, though, I did want to thank each of you for being a part of today's conversations. Uh, Caitlin Taylor, Colleen Kirtland, and Chris Herney, thank you all. Thank and you. And all show resources will be in the show notes on the website, agilecoffee.com slash episode 72. Yeah. And uh, listeners, uh, as you're listening to the the wonderful um, song written by Sam Harper, uh, Colleen's going to take us out on. Just remember to enjoy your coffee with friends. Is that better?
Now speak kindly to a stranger, cause it may not be Cause I don't 